hello. Welcome, welcome in. Welcome into the podcast, the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Sarr, and I've got Bright Side of the Sun guy, Sean Sullivan here. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing well, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We are all rejoicing because NBA basketball is back as we speak. The Cavaliers are defending again, starting their defense of their championship against the New York Knicks. And uh, we're going to talk some NBA, some Suns. So uh, let's get into it. The most important thing, the most pressing thing we have to talk about is the Archie Goodwin release that the Suns did. I believe it was yesterday. And uh, what are your initial thoughts on that? Uh, well, the initial thoughts, of course, um, I don't want to say that I was surprised. I guess that I was more shocked that uh, the Suns released him rather than traded him. Uh, initially, you know, I, I've been saying for at least about two years now that it, I thought that uh, Archie Goodwin would be included in some type of trade. I didn't think he would be a main piece, but I thought he would be, you know, some type of ancillary uh, throw in to, to help make the numbers work or to, to help make, uh, you know, the value right for whatever the Suns were getting or for a pick or something. Um, and then just to get the news that they just released him outright, uh, I was a little shocked by that, especially given the fact that uh, the, the uh, two players that they kept, well, more so John Jenkins because he, he plays the same position. Uh, I was a little bit surprised that they kept John Jenkins and released Archie Goodwin. However, uh, I know that they had, uh, you know, some, some pretty good reasons for doing it. And, and I'm sure we'll get into that as well. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing. I kind of went on the same page. I've always thought, I mean, we kind of, I think we, I think we both agree. And we'll see what you think that he will be a, well, let me say low level actual rotation player in the NBA. But it just wasn't going to be on this thing. He was not passing Barbosa, Booker, Knight, or Bledsoe ever. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I, I I don't think that Archie Goodwin was ever the right fit for this type of offense. You know, it, it seems like no matter what kind of coach the Suns have, uh, they run that that they depend on on a lot of spacing, and they want uh, their their guards especially to be shooters. Uh, and, and that's just not Archie's game. You know, it, it seems like they have a little bit more room for a unique player from the forward position, someone like T.J. Warren who can who can cut and uh, move without the ball and, and is not much of a perimeter scorer. But they really do depend on their guards to be shooters. And uh, unfortunately for Archie and unfortunately for the Suns, it just was never a good fit. Yeah, it kind of wasn't. He was stuck. He was drafted far enough back that he was in those horrible years where they had just so much turnover and turmoil, and he was stuck behind people. He was. I mean, he was stuck behind the three guard tandem of Thomas and Dragic and uh, and Bledsoe, and even then Booker comes in. And I mean, Archie Goodwin is a good player. Like, it's amazing in those times when he gets to play those maybe garbage minutes or something. He can get to the hole almost whenever he wants. For someone that's that skinny, it's kind of impressive um, because he's kind of powerful still and speedy and his quickness. But it's the and his three point shot was getting better. I mean, I mean, this preseason I saw him shoot one. It was like, who is who? Who's that? It's still flat, but it's better. He's improving. But it just wasn't. It's not enough at this level to get where he needs to go. So I kind of on the mind the Suns did him a favor because they're like, okay. 
you're not gonna get, you're not gonna get play, which he obviously realized. So let's we'll try. To, I think they tried to trade him first, but we'll we'll get you somewhere where someone will pick you up and you can actually play for minutes because I believe he's on getting con. He's can get a contract next year, and he'll have to play on the team and get show people that he is can earn it. Uh, Ryan McDonough was on the Arizona Sports uh, radio with with John Bloom, and he basically said just that. He said that uh, that Archie and his agent had tried to uh, talk to the Suns about requesting a trade for a few months now, and uh, that you know McDonough said it was just a, it's a really hard time of the year to make a trade, and they and they couldn't find any takers, um, and so for that reason they they finally did release him. Uh, so that that speaks more to the fact that Archie was not happy um, in his current role, obviously buried on the bench behind you know so many different guards ahead of him. But not only that, I, I think it really speaks to the Suns uh, in the in the front office and, and possibly the coaching staff as well, just not wanting to enter into another season with an unhappy player. Th- this would have been the third season with uh, in, in a row dealing with some type of malcontent. Uh, you know, obviously the, the Dragic situation, the Isaiah Thomas situation, uh, it, that season. And then last year you had the, the Markeith Morris uh, drama. So I think at, at the first chance that the Suns had to, to go ahead and, and just play it safe and rid themselves of any possible issues before they could occur, I think they just said, you know what, let's just cut our losses. And uh, even if we can't get anything fr- from for him, it's still it's still better to uh, play it safe and, and and let him go. And uh, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't gonna play, so it's like you you get rid of a logjam. Now you can't. I mean, you can kind of still say there's a logjam at guard, but it's not nearly as bad as you, you thought. And the reason that they would keep Jenkins over Goodwin is that Goodwin is. While Goodwin's a better player, Jenkins is much more okay with the role that he is necessary, that necessary for him to take. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think there's... Well, there might be some people out there that really do believe that uh, Archie Goodwin just wasn't good enough to make the, the, the roster. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think given everything else being even, you absolutely keep Archie Goodwin over John Jenkins. Uh, but like you said, the consideration has to be made for an unhappy player, and it, it's a player that you're probably not going to play much at, or even at all, uh, so why even take the risk? And, and that's probably where the Suns were with this decision, just saying, look, yes, uh, he, he's more talented, yes, he would be great to have as the 15th man on the roster, but no, it's not worth it if he's going to be unhappy. I mean, and with especially with the way that Watson is creating this culture around this team, which is something I haven't seen in so long. I mean, it's it's just it was just the exact wrong thing. It was kind of the last remnant of the the bad times, as it were. And I mean, I believe he's friends with the Morris brothers in in a way, which is not a bad thing necessarily. But it's kind of just let's let's rid ourselves of any potential problems. And move forward in the momentum that you have with with Booker with with everything, and make sure that we have all the right people mentoring the young guys and all that. 
absolutely, I agree. I think, uh, like you said, his his uh, reputation as you know having uh, he was pretty vocal in his support about both of the Morris twins uh, back when all that that whole situation was happening. And, and like you said, it, it's not necessarily that it's a bad thing. Uh, it's not it's not necessarily uh, something that that speaks to him as far as his personality or saying. Or makes it seem like uh, that he did anything wrong necessarily, but I do think there's a little bit, at least, to that uh, that that they wanted, you know, that old regime out and, and starting fresh with with this new group uh, of players. Um, so I do believe, like you said, it, it probably played at least some role in that decision. Yeah, and there's something to starting fresh. But don't get me wrong, I, I like Archie Goodwin. He was one of my first uh, interviews back when he was a rookie. When I was in college, I, I got to interview him for one of our days. And he's really nice and awesome, and he's going to be a good player in the league. He's going he's gonna to be – he has a skill that a lot of people in the world and some people in the NBA just do not have, the ability to be that athletic, to be that long. He just needs to get better on the defensive end in terms of lapses and on ball and the ability to make more threes and have a better shot release. But he's going he's gonna to be, he has what it takes, and he has the work ethic and he's ready to do it. It just was sort of surprising how soon it was, like, it seemed like he had bought into the Watson thing, and he probably did, and he was trying his hardest. But it's, if you're not going to play, you're not going to play, and if he needs to capitalize on his ability to make money down the road by playing enough minutes, then that's a good reason to ask for a trade and, since it's a wrong time to make trades right now, it's not. There's no urgency on the part of GMs. Then releasing was the only other option. Yeah, and like you brought up, I mean, uh, he has a very unique skill set, and for the right team, he could be a huge value. That's why I'm surprised, even with the timing of it all, that there wasn't some taker out there. I mean, his his preseason game-winning dunk was, you know. You can never say that something in preseason could be one of the plays of the year, but wow. I mean, it just showed that type of aggression and that type of athleticism and what he can do. And that's his game, you know, penetrating with the ball in his hand and just taking it to the hoop, uh, you know, all over the defense. That's that's exactly how you need to use Archie Goodwin. And, uh, you know, even though he hasn't shown the type of development that the Suns wanted as a shooter or a floor spacer, he does that very, very well. And, uh, you know, I guess it's worth mentioning, he's only, what, 22 years old? So even though he's been in the NBA for several seasons, it's not like he's capped off at, at what he could become. Uh, there's still, you know, maybe with a different, with a fresh start, maybe he needs that fresh start as well as the Suns did. Maybe if he does get that fresh start with some, with some, you know, different coaching and maybe a different way of being played and a different offense, Maybe you can see uh, Archie Goodwin really thrive somewhere. Well, that's kind of the trend for former Suns players, Isaiah Thomas, Mark Marcus Morris. Um, tons of players that leave the Suns tend to play better elsewhere, and hopefully that trend will stop because Watson can become entrenched, become stay for a while, more than just a cup of coffee it seems like, and just really <laughs> actually get create create that culture like. He is impressing me, Watson is, for sure. But uh, we'll move on to more of general stuff here on the Suns. Let's, uh, we'll get into some individual positional battles, but let's start with the over-under stuff. What do you think? The over-under is 26.5. What do you think about that? 
Oh, I'd go over. I, I, uh, you know, I, I really like the the direction of this team, the makeup of this team, uh, and you you just touched on one of my favorite aspects of all, uh, the coach of this team. I really think that Earl Watson is just the perfect coach for this group of guys. And uh, you know, I don't think that they're going to be world beaters. Uh, you know, if you ask the players, they think that they can be you know a fourth or fifth seed in the playoffs. I'm not sure if if I'd go that far. But uh, I do think that this Suns team is going to surprise some people. Um, I think they're going to be better than advertised, certainly better than what ESPN predicted them to be, which was the, the worst team in the league. Uh, so, it, you know, the over-under of uh, 26 and a half, I, that's an easy over for me. Yeah, I have about 34 wins is my official prediction. And a lot of it's based on the fact that Last year, remember those five games or so where they played with no point guard and only it was Archie Goodwin bringing up the ball pretty much? Like, they had Bledsoe and Knight, Marquis Morris, who was still good even though he wasn't happy, and Warren, all injured for long stretches. And that second half of the season, they played with no point guard. It's really hard to play in the NBA with no point guard. And now they have five ball handlers that will suffice to do that. So I think that's increased it so much. The fact that they're all playing together and Watts can motivate them will really help them. And it's not it's not too big of a jump. It's what is a it's a ten point jump, ten game jump after basically giving up fifteen games probably just by the fact that they had no players. <laughs> I mean, so I think it's not unreasonable to go around the thirty four range. Although national people, I mean, Tim Bontemps, a national guy, he put it at like twenty five. Um, uh, so it's, it's, we want to be optimistic, but we're entrenched in here in the Suns, uh, market and we could become too optimistic, but I think that putting them out of the playoffs, but the high end back to where they were with a, before, several years ago with a good team that was much older than the team they have now. So it's on the right track, trending upwards, but in the right age bracket. I think they're going to be really on a good track going into the year. We'll see how they do. Yeah, I think they'll uh, they'll definitely. You know, I think we can both agree they're on the right track right now. The, the The only question is, how good can this team be as currently constructed if the key players stay healthy? Uh, as you already mentioned, last year they were just plagued by injuries, so it's really hard to know, even with last year's team, how good they could have been. You know, if Bledsoe was healthy all year. If Knight was healthy all year, if Alex Len was healthy all year, now is it is it possible that at least one of those players will again uh, face some type of injury or setback or or miss some games? Absolutely. But but the hope is that you don't miss all of those key players again. Uh, and I forgot about you know T.J. Warren. Uh, just looking at what he's been able to do this preseason, you know you, you have so many players who can contribute in so many different ways. Um, you know, Booker has another year that he's developed into much more than just the shooter he was advertised to be. Uh, you have Tyson Chandler, who could, you know, who, who can be a really good player on a team surrounded by talent. He's not a first option, obviously, but, uh, you know, as a support player, as a low post big man, he, he can be really, really good, especially if you're, if he's surrounded by guards who can, who can shoot on the perimeter. So I just think that there's a lot of things to like about this team, and I haven't even talked yet about the, the rookie players, uh, Marquise Chris especially, who I also think is going to have a big impact. 
Yeah, I think uh, Tyson Chandler is more of a a uh, drop off to dunk and, and do some defense. I don't know about low posts, but uh, he he's definitely good. And I mean Booker, I couldn't. I mean Booker is I've, he's, he's amazing. The ability that I've seen from him, the growth from last year, where he was. I mean, his patience, his ability to ball handle and pass and playmaking and vision, and his patience, it's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. He, he The sky's the limit for him. Yeah, I, Booker is obviously going to be the face of the franchise going forward. Uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think he's turning into the star player that many people could only hope that the Suns w- would have found. Uh, and he's showing that, you know, he, he was projected to be another Clay Thompson-type player, you know, a guy that can just shoot three-pointers as a specialist, and he's showing uh, the ability to, to, to do it all. You know, he's he's uh, really developed a great overall game, and now a three-point shot is just one small aspect of it. Uh, going back to what you were saying about Tyson Chandler, certainly I don't think that, you know, he would be a low-post scorer, uh, you know, consistent with with any of the big men who are elite offensive players. But what I think he can be is a guy to man that low post area. And if the Suns guards are shooting or, or allowing him to get one-on-ones that they can easily throw, you know, a nice little lob pass to him that they, they couldn't figure out how to do last season. But we're, we're starting to see some of that in the preseason mm-hmm. and use Tyson Chandler effectively on offense. And then of course, as a defender and a, and a rebounder, you know, that, that's a big man that, that can really help you out on the other end of the court. So, again, I think it's just about utilizing the strengths of the players on, on the court at the same time, and hopefully if everyone stays healthy, they'll be able to do that this season. At least as, as long as it's not Brandon Knight throwing the lobs, as long as it's Booker. But, uh, <laughs> right. They just <laughs> that's what you connect. don't want to see. They just cannot connect last year. But also, the weird thing is we're saying that Booker's going to be the face of the franchise. And yet, we're underrating Bledsoe, I think. He was playing at an all-star level last year before he got injured. And I think he, I've seen a change in him in terms of attitude and really determination. He's really, I think he's going to be a leader this year, along with Booker. He's going to be, he's a, Booker's too young to, I mean, really be a leader, right? But he's, I mean, he's like 20 or 19, he's, he's turning 19. He's turning 19 in five days or something like that. It's, Absolutely ridiculous that he would be have to be a leader, but he can be. He's being a leader. But Bledsoe is the one I'm talking about, and he is going to be a leader. He's and he's going to play at an all-star level. But let's get to the uh, let's get to the rookies. Um, what do you think more specifically? What do you think before the draft about the three rookies, and uh, what do you think now? Well, before the draft, obviously, uh, you're looking at who the Suns can take uh, with the fourth pick overall, and and it was a kind of a toss-up to me because. It, in my opinion, uh, Dragon Bender was just so unknown, you know, so just just an unknown commodity completely, you know, just a raw prospect that, that uh, there just wasn't a lot of information on. Was he, you know, a three-point shooter? Was he a floor-spacing big man? A lot of people thought he was going to be the next Porzingis, uh, and, and from a lot of what you would see in his in his film, he didn't look to be that at all. Uh, so I was a little bit leery of Bender, and obviously you can see why a lot of people were excited about him and, and why he had such a, a high ceiling. Uh, but right before the draft, I basically said, okay, so I'm going to go ahead and hope that the Suns draft Marquise Chris, because he was the other name that was kind of tied to the organization. 
so I, I definitely, you know, that was my preference uh, at first when we picked Dragon. I was a little bit disappointed, uh, but then elated when they were able to get both of them, you know, a- after trading uh, uh, to get Chris. And by the way, tr- getting a great deal moving up to the 8th pick from the 13th and, and only giving up a 2022nd round pick and the rights to Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, w- which is just a- incredible value. Um, and as far as our other rookie, Tyler Ulis, I really never even considered him because, you know, I, like everybody else, everyone figured he would be a, a late mid to a late first round pick. Uh, didn't see the, any way that the Suns would be able to, you know, acquire uh, yet another late first round pick. So I, I just really didn't give it any thought, but I was a big fan of uh, Tyler Ulis at Kentucky, uh, and I really liked how he led his offense and led the team. You know, he's, he really is a true floor general and really a, a pure point guard. So when the Suns were fortunate enough to, to draft Tyler Ulis in the second round, I, I, I mean, I was just, I, I don't think I've been as happy about a Suns draft uh, since I can remember. Yeah, definitely. I think that, I think they also in that trade for, uh, for to get up Marquise Chris, I think they gave up the Cavaliers 28th pick overall also. But uh, definitely. Oh, that's right. But it, was, it certainly was what I was excited about, apart from who they got with these picks, was the fact that they were able to consolidate because, like, they, I almost kind of think 13th pick would have been a pointless, the 28th pointless. Bogdan wasn't coming over that year. And then, so it's, and that 2020 second round pick is kind of useless. So, some being able to take those somewhat useless seeming relatively picks to make a Marquis Chris is really genius. I mean, they did something the Celtics couldn't do. I mentioned that with uh, Gerald last week. I mean, they, I was really happy about that. Plus, they, we basically got the two guys that the consensus Suns people all the us writers were wanting. We got both of the people that we were thinking was going to be a binary choice, which is really exciting. And then, of course, Ulyss making, like we talked about, there will be a point guard on the Suns team that's playing at a high level that's this whole year and will make the floor for this team a, bun- a, bu- a bunch higher. Yeah, um, and like like you were saying, the fact that they were able to get that that type of value not only from the draft picks, um, but also the players that they selected. You know, getting getting both of the players that they wanted at the fourth pick, you know, and, and giving up relatively little to do so, and then still getting us another first-round talent uh, in a player like Tyler Ulis, who, if he was only probably three inches taller, would have uh, possibly been a lottery pick, you know, so... Uh, overall, I just think it was it was a tremendous draft for the Suns, uh, and time will tell how how uh, you know Dragon Bender develops. I think he's still the biggest question mark out of the group, mm-hmm. uh, but you know he has a very high ceiling, and uh, you know I think the Suns can be patient with him because they have enough other players around him right now that they don't need to rush him. Okay, here's the question: Is Dragon Bender a three, a four, or a five? Uh, well, he's he's definitely not a five. Um, he he's less so uh, a four right now, and I'd say right now he's more of a three. Really? And I think that's uh, that that's a consensus on what the 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 team views at least for for who he is right now. And I would at least right now I would agree. Long term, I don't think he's a three. I think he's a four. Uh, but right now, only because he doesn't have 
um, any of the, the power, the size to match up against other power forwards. I think he's more effective uh, at the three spot. But he has the length uh, to match up very well, even in the post. And that you've seen some of that on defense. I mean, I think that's been the most impressive aspect of his game so far, is, is, is his lateral movement on the perimeter, and then his ability to track players into the post and block shots, uh, you know, defend, you know, any player all the way from the, from the one uh, to, to the five sometimes against, you know, smaller centers, so... Uh, but but his defensive potential uh, really, I, I think, might be higher than his offensive potential. Yeah, I think that I want him eventually to be a five, but I like I really because if, because that's where his I mean it's harder to find fives that can shoot like him than it is to find threes that are as long as him. So it's about scarcity there. But I, I do think he's going to be pretty good. I hope his his shot looks like I wish I could like fix his shot because it doesn't. It goes in, but I think it could be better. <laughs> but uh, but we'll see. Um, what about Chris? I think that I was underselling him because I had heard that he could be a bust. His range of possible outcomes was pretty large. But seeing him preseason, obviously, there's an asterisk there. But just watching, like not thinking about stat lines, but watching him play, him making those three threes in that second Utah game, and his spin moves and his ability to rebound and put back, I think he's going to be better than we think, faster than we think, but let's not get carried away. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think Marquise Chris uh, ha- has generated a lot of excitement, and rightly so. I, I I just think that he was advertised as being this, you know, just this tremendous athlete. So obviously, everyone is is expecting just dunks, and you know, everyone knows that he's kind of raw still. Uh, didn't start playing basketball until he was in high school, late in high school, actually. So, um, you know, everyone kind of had, you know, tempered expectations for what Chris could do. And then all of a sudden you see this this guy come out, and he's, he's able to play uh, multiple positions, and he plays multiple positions very well. He's tough. Uh, you know, he plays physically. And, and uh, you know, not only is he dunking the ball, he's hitting mid-range jumpers, and all of a sudden he's stretching out and, and shooting the ball well from three. So, I mean, the, the kid's doing it all. And uh, I, I think what impressed me most, and I, and I had the opportunity to watch him up close a couple of times uh, in the preseason and at the scrimmage in, in Flagstaff, I was watching him closely, and I, and I was just looking at how he was reading the defense and how he was also uh, communicating to his teammates on offense, and he could really see what was happening, and he was making the right moves on the court. And, and to me, that was the most impressive thing that I saw was just that not only was he understanding, uh, you know, what position he should be in or, or where he should be on the court, but I actually saw him directing traffic a couple of times. So for a young player to have that type of understanding so quickly, um, you know, that makes me all of a sudden, you know, jump up my expectations or not expectations, but at least my hope on what he could develop into. I think one thing that people don't realize about Marquise Chris is is he is extremely intelligent. I think his basketball IQ is uh, much higher than people think. Uh, he, he's just a smart smart person and a smart player all around. So I think with his understanding of the game and his continued development, you know, sky really is the limit for him. Wow, that's a good, good insight there. Um, 
So let's go move on to uh, TJ Warren and Peter Tucker. Um, so far, it seems like Tucker is, and I just heard today that he's going to get back. He's going to be available to play in the opener, but which is tomorrow. But Warren's going to start. Now, we'll see how long that holds when Tucker has like, uh, worked his way back into shape or whatever. But uh, we, I talked to this Gerald, and we kind of predicted, when do you think Warren takes over uh, Peter Tucker's starting job, assuming it doesn't happen right now, assuming Tucker gets it back for a while? And so let's, what do you think about that? Well, I think if, uh, if, if TJ Warren starts the season at small forward, and, and all indications are that he will still start, uh, because PJ isn't ready to assume starting role just yet. He might be active, but he'll probably come off the bench. Um, so far, TJ Warren has given Earl Watson no reason to switch him out and put Tucker back in. So I think at this point, it really is TJ's job to lose. He's in the starting position. He's played very well in the preseason. Um, if he continues to do so, then I think he keeps that starting role, and I think you see P.J. Tucker come off the bench uh, permanently. But then, I mean, but Tucker has to be in the fourth quarter. I mean, obviously starting is different than ending the game, but, I mean, the, the best players obviously start the game and end it, but Tucker has to be in there at the end because he is the heart and soul of the team, still will be, and he is going to get those fourth quarter rebounds that have to happen. Yeah, I don't think there's any problem with having uh, P.J. Tucker uh, finish the game and allowing, you know, T.J. Still to start the game. Like you said, I think I think the defense and the intensity that P.J. brings uh, is still invaluable in, in crunch time minutes. Uh, you know, P.J. has proven that that he he can actually, uh, you know, make defensive stops and and grab rebounds out of position and, and do the types of things that, that TJ just hasn't shown yet. So as long as PJ is, is, is still the PJ that we're used to seeing, yeah, it's very possible that TJ Warren can, can uh, start and that PJ Tucker will finish those, uh, you know, really close fourth quarters. Okay, here's the here's the here's one of the predictions. Uh, who do you think is going to win the Dan Riley Hustle Award, Tucker or Dudley? Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. So both, uh, you know, both uh, former uh, recipients. Multiple times. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, it could be it could be either or it could be uh, neither. You know, it, it just depends. Um, if I had to if I had to guess, um, I would probably still say P.J. Tucker only because uh you know, I, 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 we don't know if Dudley is still going to be uh, the same Dudley we had, uh, but we're pretty sure what we what we're going to have with PJ. Yeah, that's what that's what me and Gerald and I both said too. Um, so let's um, move on. What do, what do you think? Let's quickly do talk about Alex Len and Tyson Chandler. What do you think about this? I feel like we're getting away from thinking that Alex Len is going to be something really special. I really have enjoyed his, his last couple of years. I was loving him when he was raw and he was showing the, the, uh, his potential and being aggressive and he's getting there, but these nagging injuries have made his development stunted. And what do you think his potential is and where do you think he's going to go? Well, yeah, that's a tough question. It's, uh, it, it seems like we're, we keep talking about the potential of Alex Lynn and, uh, you know, I, again, he's, he's a young player as well. 
but I think that the one thing that has always been missing and continues to be missing from Alex's game is that that inside aggression. Uh, I, you know, for instance, going to media day, uh, and I get to stand next to all the players, and I can tell you that that Alex Len is still the tallest player on the Suns. He has a uh, Dragon Bender beaten by probably half an inch, maybe a, maybe a full inch. Uh, so, you know, he, he's, he, I would say Alex Lent's closer to seven foot two. He's just a big, long player. And, uh, you know, he has the, he, he at least has the ability to be an imposing force down there. And for some reason, and I don't know what it is, uh, but it, it doesn't seem like he, he plays to his size. He, he goes up sometimes with these little, finger rolls instead of just hammering it down on the player like you wish he would. Uh, you know, he has this tendency, especially when there's a player between him and the basket, when he's on offense and there's a defender between himself and the basket, instead of just going up strong and absorbing contact and trying to dunk it, he does this little, like, half-baby hook where it's almost like he's trying to avoid being touched and tries to just, you know, tries to just wing the ball up there on a hope and a prayer. So... You know, it's one of those frustrating things like where you're like, Alex, you're you're so much bigger than everybody else. Just put the ball down and nobody can stop you. So I think that that's been his roadblock, other than the injuries, obviously. I mean, the, the injuries, like you said, have definitely uh, been a huge setback for him so far. But the other thing is just his lack of aggression. And if he can start playing to, to how what his size is instead of trying to, you know, finesse the ball in all the time, then I think we could see a turnaround. But really, it, you know, time will tell if that ever happens. I mean, definitely. I, I've seen the aggression that you're talking about from him. But as you're saying, I think you're more kind of saying it's consistency with that and being consistently aggressive inside and not backing down. But uh, the question I'm more, I'm more I'm, I'm thinking about and wondering about is who should start, him or Tyson Chandler? And does that change sometime down the line this year? Well, you would love to. I mean, everyone would love to see Alex Len start, right? I mean, uh, the Suns have given him that opportunity. Uh, they gave it to him last year um, and, and even the year before, trying to get him, you know, because he is viewed as, or at least he was viewed as the, uh, the eventual starting center on this team. So, but, he, he, you know... Even though the Suns would want it to happen and the fans would want it to happen, Alex Len has to do it. And like you said, it, it, he has to give a consistent effort. He can't come out and have a you know 19.12 rebound game or a, a 20.15 rebound game and then turn around and completely disappear the next game. Uh, he has to be able to put up meaningful numbers consistently. And, and by that, I don't mean empty stats and garbage time. I mean, when he's out there facing... You know, the other team's uh, starting big man, he has to be more aggressive. He has to try to, to, to be more dominant inside. And mm. that's just something that we, we don't get on a consistent basis. So uh, right now, it's absolutely, I would say, it's Tyson Chandler who should be starting until Alex Len proves otherwise. I mean, Alex Len has to be Jonas Valanciunas. Well, I think Alex... <laughs> What, what, okay, so to his credit, I think one thing that he's done this offseason is, is really work on his jump shot. At least in preseason, he, he's doing that, he, he's shooting a lot better. Now, last year, I think he shot under 40% from the field, which is 
atrocious for for a starting center. But if he can at least start to get some confidence that he can make baskets, maybe it'll translate to an inside game as well. Uh, yeah, I would definitely take Valanciunas as, as uh, Alex Lenz uh, comparison if that's what he could play up to. So the last part specifically about the, the players is what do you think about Barbosa and the Dudley? Well, Barbosa mostly, but what like do you think Barbosa is going to play a lot or is he more of a mentor? I think he's going to play more than we think. Uh, it's certainly possible. You know, he helped Golden State a, a, a lot last year, but the Suns are so guard-heavy, it's really tough to know uh, what's what's going to happen. And even Earl Watson doesn't seem 100% committed to um, who's going to get time. It, it kind of seems like, uh, in his opinion at least, there's going to be kind of like a, a hard-set nine-man rotation and then a tenth player who will kind of uh, differ or float in and out depending on the needs of the game and who has the hot hand. So, yeah, I think I think Barbosa could certainly be that player. Uh, it's going to be interesting, though, because I think, uh, you know, it's either going to be Barbosa or it's going to be Dragonbender or it's going to be Tyler Ulis, but it's not going to be all three. So it really just depends on who the Suns think gives them the, the, the best chance and, and maybe who's who else is in foul trouble or who's injured. or uh, Yeah, it, it's really difficult to know right now, but... I guess I would give Barbosa the most uh, chance right now to, to fill that that uh, tenth man role. And I think that's probably because the second, I mean, it's Bledsoe and Booker starting, and then Knight is the point guard, and then Barbosa can play with Knight better than Ulis can play with Knight because they're both too small. Like Ulis can't play two guard because he's seventh inches shorter than whoever he's guarding. Um, so I think that's probably the reason. Also, Barbosa just has all the experience that Ulis doesn't, and really that Knight doesn't either. Yeah, I think uh, Barbosa obviously has the experience and, and can help the team. And uh, you don't you don't need to depend on him to you know make the right plays or be in the right spot. He he knows how to operate in an offense. Uh, but ideally, I would love to see Ulis getting minutes uh, over Barbosa, which means that. Uh, perhaps, you know, Bledsoe and Booker start, and maybe Ulis, uh, can play the point guard alongside of Knight, which I think would, would, would make a lot of sense. Now, I don't think that Watson wants to go that route. He, he said multiple times that he wants at least two out of those three, uh, starting guards, and he does view Brandon Knight still as a starting guard, even though he's coming off the bench. Uh, he wants two of those guards on the floor at all times. Uh, at least so far, that's that's been what he said. So I don't think that that's going to happen right away. But maybe after Ulysses starts to develop and uh, and really shows that he can handle the point guard responsibility, I think that's more of a natural fit for him and, and more of a natural fit for Brandon Knight as well to play the shooting guard role instead of having to play point guard. Although Brandon Knight seems very, he's better as a ball dominant guard in my mind, but. Anyway, I think he's better as a ball dominant guard for Brandon Knight. Uh, he definitely plays better, if, if, and I would agree with you there. But I don't think he necessarily facilitates the offense for the rest of the players um, as well as someone like Tyler Ulis. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, let's get into uh, previewing the games. We've got actual NBA games that the Suns are in starting tomorrow, and we start out with them playing. At home versus the Sacramento Kings. 
Um, let's do a one-minute preview of it and then decide on who we think is going to win. So, Sacramento Kings, um, yeah, I think uh, that that's a good game for the, the Suns to, to try to win. <laughs> I think that that's a very winnable game, uh, especially with, um, you know, they, they have some really tough games after this one. So this is kind of like the one, uh, you know, give me game for the rest of October at least. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would predict a win. I think it's going to be, you know, a, a, a nice win as a home opener. Um, and they better win because, like I said, uh, they have some trouble coming their way. Well, let me let me just capitalize on what you're saying there. So they have, on the 26th, they got Sacramento at home like we talked about. Then two days later, they play at Oklahoma City. Two days later, they play at home versus Golden State, then a back-to-back at the Los Angeles Clippers, and that ends rounds out October. And then they play at home versus the Trailblazers on the 2nd, and then they then it gets easier from there. But that is, there's a very good possibility that they, go, if they win the Sacramento game, they go 1-4, and four, or 1-4, yeah, about 1-4 start the season, then they'll have to make up those games later. I just hope that they don't, if they if they lose these games, if they don't stay under 500 the rest of the year, that'd be pretty depressing. But uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they'll they can definitely start with with a win. Uh, and like you were saying, they could they could easily go one and four, but they might be able to sneak another win in there. Uh, you know, against against somebody, maybe maybe it's Portland. Uh, that's another home game, that, and they've shown that they always give Portland a good game. So, uh, you know, hopefully they don't start one and four, or you know, let's not even talk about going zero and five. <laughs> yeah, but that's that, but that's what everybody is predicting is that they're going to be just ho- so horrible that the games they should win they won't. And I don't know, they they have the potential to be to scare people. To they have the length, they have the athleticism, they have the mindset to really go farther than people think. Do you think, do you give them any chance against, or, well, we're going to have predictions, so I'm predicting they win the Sacramento game, what do you think? Yeah, I think they, I think they beat Sacramento. And then what about Oklahoma City? Um, that's a tough game, you know, even though they're, they lost, uh, Kevin Durant, you know, it's still, it's, it's an away game in Oklahoma City, uh, they still have Russell Westbrook, uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say they, they lose that one. I, I agree. I mean, even though they lost Ibaka as well, they got Oladipo, they got all their draft picks, and they got, and Steven Adams and Enos Cantor are going to eat the Suns alive. But, um, and then what about uh, Golden State? Do you give them anything more than a 2% chance of the fluke that everybody has an off shooting night? Yeah, I'll go with the 2% chance. <laughs> yeah, so I thought they're not winning that game. Because it's in, it's in Oakland. And then they're going to be like, they'll be coming off of playing. I mean, yeah, there's no way they're winning that game. What about the Clippers uh, in L.A.? Um, they have a chance. They have a chance against the Clippers. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, Chris Paul's not getting any younger. Um, you know, Blake Griffin is is who he is. So um, that could that could be one of those surprise games for the Suns. Uh, I don't know if I'll. Okay, I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll predict that the Suns win that one. Um, I I'm gonna predict they don't, but the way that they do is if the Suns bench can overcome the Clippers bench, because that bench is just, just wow. Um, 
So that's that's the way that they win it, but I'm predicting that they don't. Um, what about the let's the last one here? What about that um, November second game at home versus Portland? I'm gonna go ahead and say that that they they win that game. Uh, like I said, that that Clippers one, I'm more I'm I'm just taking a flyer on that one, saying that they could surprise some people. So uh, I think they win one of those two, if not both of them. So. Uh, if they don't beat the Clippers, I, I think that they'll at least beat the Blazers. Uh, but uh, I give them a pretty good chance of beating beating Portland. Okay, so you're thinking that, or you're predicting that they win one, 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 two. You're, you're predicting they go three and two in the first five games. I'm predicting they go one well, and four. I'm going to say two and three, but mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead and give me three and two. I'll take them both. <laughs> okay, you go three and two, and I'm going one and four. But uh, we'll see how they do. Then they're going to have an easier stretch with uh, New Orleans, Los Angeles, Portland again, Detroit, Brooklyn, and of course Golden State. We're going to get those horrible blowouts out of the way early, I guess. Um, Denver, Indiana, Philadelphia, Washington, Orlando. So there is a good chance that by Christmas they could be uh, above 500. But um, not it's not the beginning of the season. It's certainly going to be a tough stretch for them. Any last thoughts? Um, again, I just think that, uh, you know, the, the Suns are, uh, are gonna be a fun team to watch. I think, uh, they're gonna be better than advertised. I don't think this is going to be, uh, another depressing season for the fans where they're just waiting for it to end and cheering for the highest lottery, p- uh, pick. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of reasons to watch and, uh, whether, whether that means trying to sneak into the playoffs or not, um, I, I just think it's gonna be a fun season this year. Definitely. I totally agree with that. Well, let's uh, plug whatever you're up to, and then we'll uh, get out of here. Well, same thing as always. Uh, you can see, find me on Twitter at uh, Sean Sullivan NBA, and uh, of course, you can also find me on Bright Side of the Sun intermittently. Uh, but otherwise, you know, uh, uh, and, and hopefully, I'll be back on with you as well, Eric. Definitely, I definitely go follow Sean, and then definitely please follow me on on Twitter at Eric underscore Sar. And this is my podcast is SolarInsights.net, and uh, check out my article on Kevin Durant, the Warriors, and the Death Lineup. Uh, I've worked on it most of the summer, and uh, have a good night, everybody. <laughs>